Merry Christmas, New City. It's time for the Family Minute. Our vision is to live as the family of God, together demonstrating and proclaiming the gospel of grace to one another and our city. It's important to us that we stay connected. Stop by the engagement counter in the lobby after the worship gathering. You can get more information about groups and events, discover a place to serve, subscribe to our weekly email update, or give us an update for your church profile information. If you are new, grab a Connect card from a seat back pocket and bring it by. We have a free gift for you. This Advent season, join us for a candlelight gathering on the evening of Christmas Eve Eve. On Christmas Day, we will only have one worship gathering at 11 a.m. We will not have New City Kids that day, but your children are always welcome to join us in the sanctuary. On January 8th and 22nd, we will have our Covenant Partnership class. This class is for anyone who wants to learn more about New City Church, what we believe, and what it means to become a Covenant Partner. The class is from 1 p.m. to 3 p.m. in the Flex Room. Childcare is available. Stay connected with our church family through our online hub at newcitydtl.org family. Also, follow and engage with us on Facebook and Instagram. See you next time. Hear the word of the Lord. I want to go home. I want to go home. Shall I be glad, O daughter of night, for I am coming, and I will live among you, declares the Lord. Many nations will be joined with the Lord in that day. I will become my people and I will live among you and you will know that the Lord Almighty has sent me to you. Simeon took him, the infant Jesus, in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Luke 2, 28-32. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, who he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. Hear the word of the Lord.
Let's thank our New City kids, participants, our worship leaders. One more time, church. All right, all right. This is where I feel for just a second as they kind of get off. The, anybody got any good jokes? There you go. You guys are always on it. Amaze me. Great job. It's really significant for us as a church not to just send our kids up and take cute pictures of them, but to understand that they have participated in leading God's people in worship. That's a completely different vision, right? And they have because Jesus actually tells us that we should be more like them in our worship, right? Well, as we continue in worship now, uh, another really significant part of our corporate worship gathering that we enter into every single week is as we enter into worship through giving. We're coming up on the end of our year here. It's been arguably, I mean, one of the most amazing years that we've had in ministry at New City Church. And I want to put just two things before you as goals or kind of holy ambitions or aspirations of ours as we close out this year strong uh, through our generous giving uh, to the Lord. The first one is this, just a little bit of visibility on where we've been as a church this year. Where's our general budget been as a church this year? Well, this church, or, this year our church has grown faster than it ever has. And so we set a, we set a budget goal out this year. Um, it was a little less than that we had to add because the church was growing so fast. We added two new staff people this, this year that we weren't expecting to that were part-time, a, 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 ch- a, a child care coordinator and an executive director part-time that have helped us kind of scale and grow effectively. And our goal this year is 765, and we're already at 750. We are almost there. I'm confident that the Lord will bring in the rest of this through your generous giving. And then the second piece is this, and I mentioned this last week. We have this huge goal before us that's part of the Greater Things Initiative, and that's to expand our campus so that we might more effectively reach our city and care for our kids. And that's through purchasing the Chestnut Street building just to the side of us and renovating that in the year 2023. And our goal as, as an elder team and leadership team has been that we might not incur any further debt to New City uh, through purchasing that with cash. And in order to do that, we have a year-end goal of $75,000 to be able to do that. And I set that before you last week as our end-of-year initiative, and we we're already making great progress toward that. So I set these before you as goals and as matters of prayer for you and your family, that you might consider how the Lord is drawing you in to participate in what God has called your church to. So I'm going to pray for us as we ask God uh, to do more than we can ask or imagine through this church. So let's, let's enter in and pray together, church. Father, we thank you uh, for the gift of the wholehearted worship of these children this morning, Lord. We thank you that it stirs up in us a childlike faith too, that it sharpens us. And Father, I pray that you would teach our hearts to come to you like these children, to teach our hearts to give like children give, Lord. And so, Lord, as we come to you in a season that's often, at least in our context, um, about receiving, I pray that you would open our hands, release the grasp that we have on this world, and that you would help our hearts to give freely, Lord. Your word says that it's better to give than it is to receive, that we're more like you than we're giving, when we're giving. And 
So, Father, we, we pray for these two huge goals that we have to close our, our year out, our ministry year as a church, uh, in the black. Uh, Father, not, 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 not drawing down. Uh, and also, Father, uh, that you would help us to accomplish this goal of purchasing this Chestnut Street building so that we could expand this kingdom outpost called New City Church in downtown Lawrenceville. So, Father, would you stir our hearts and move us to give freely in obedience to your call on our lives. And we ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
You guys may be seated. As we continue our Advent series, Rest, Finding Peace in the Presence of Jesus, I'd love to turn our attention to a prayer from the Valley of Vision called Resting on God. And earlier this week, um, I was reading this article about a, it was a foreign exchange student who was spending his first Christmas here in the States. And what he said was, it was kind of humorous because he said, it is a full on sprint from Thanksgiving to Christmas. And at the end, it's kind of funny, but he said, there is nothing restful about the Christmas season. So if you're anything like me, I realized I can resonate with that. You see, the theological practice of rest, the theological practice of finding peace in Jesus, I love it. My soul longs for it. My soul really, that's my desire. But the practical application of that is hard to come by. I don't really know how to find that peace, how to find that rest in Jesus. As I thought about my life the last few weeks and months, I've realized there are so many things that just run through my mind every single day. And oftentimes those things can cause worry, they can cause anxiety, they can cause uneasiness in my life. And when I try and fix those things in my own power, when I try and fix those things in my own strength, the same thing happens over and over. It's a somewhat of a snowball effect where if I think about a certain situation more, I start worrying about it more. The uneasiness, the anxiety continues to grow. But as Pastor Ryan preached last week, he said we have a great high priest who can sympathize with everything, with every desire, with every worry, with every anxiety, with all the unrest in our soul, Jesus can sympathize with us in everything. And part of that reason is next week, in one short week, Jesus became Emmanuel. The prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, he became God with us so that we can cast every burden, so that we can cast all of that anxiety, all of that worry onto him. So as I read this prayer from the Valley of Vision, church, would you consider how this, how this prayer can resonate with your life? How the busyness, how, how the, the constant just go mentality of this world, but Jesus calls us to stop. So would you read this with me? says, O God most high, most glorious, the thought of your infinite serenity cheers me. For I am toiling and moiling, troubled and distressed, but you are forever at peace. Your designs cause you no fear or care of unfulfillment. They stand fast as the eternal hills. Your power knows no bond, your goodness no end. You bring order out of confusion, and my defeats are your victories. The Lord God of unending power reigns. I come to you as a sinner with cares and sorrows to leave every concern entirely to you, every sin calling for Christ's precious blood. Revive deep spirituality in my heart. Let me live near to the great shepherd Hear his voice, know its tones, follow its calls. 
Keep me from being deceived by causing me to abide in the truth from harm by helping me to walk in the power of the Spirit. Give me greater faith in the eternal truths burning into me by experience the things I know. Let me never be ashamed of the truth of the gospel that I may bear its reproach. Vindicate it. See Jesus as its essence. Know in it the power of the Spirit. Lord, help me. For I am often lukewarm and chill. Unbelief mars my confidence. Sin makes me forget you. Let the weeds that grow in my soul be cut at their roots. Grant me to know that I truly live only when I live to you. That all else is trifling. Your presence alone can make me holy, devout, strong, and happy. Abide in me, gracious God. Let's pray. Father, our souls long for you. God, our, our hearts, they, they cry for you, Lord, in, in, in the uneasiness of, of the world, in the, in the constant rush of the world, Lord. I pray that we would seek you, seek you above all things. And God, we know that we will never find perfect rest. We will never find perfect peace on this side of earth. But we know through your death and resurrection, Lord, that is a promise that is secured to every believer, God, that one day we will experience perfect peace and perfect rest. So, Lord, I pray for, for everyone in here, God, that we will take a moment to stop. God, take a moment to, to recognize who you are, that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us, Lord, that we would come and adore you, Father, for who you are the perfect gift that you've given us, Lord. God, I pray for, for Ryan as he comes up here. Lord, would you give him the words for, for us to hear as a church, Father? God, give him strength through your spirit. God, we're thankful for, for him, for his, for his teaching, for this church, Lord. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Patrick. Good morning, guys. It's great to be with you here today. It's great to have a, a full room of uh, adults and New City kids, uh, and if you're unfamiliar with our vision here, we, we have a kind of a hybrid vision where we, we think it's really important for children to get age-appropriate discipleship, but we also think it's really appropriate for them to be here in big church with us so they're learning how to worship in an intergenerational format. So, uh, so thankful you guys are here in this room with us this morning. Um, we've had an amazing Advent season, and uh, we've, we've, we're celebrating this most amazing truth uh, imaginable, the, the arrival of Jesus the day that God would become man. Uh, we've been, as Patrick said, in a series of messages, uh, and we've, we've looked at how, how God brings rest to our souls. And, and we said, hey, it's not just like a nap after grandma's chicken pot pie on a Sunday, although that could be a part of your rest, but it's a deeper rest. It's a longer rest. It is a rest that, as we experience right now, is foreshadowing the rest and relief that God will bring us when he sends his son Jesus back. So today, you know, we've looked at the design of rest, about how Sabbath is a part of that. Uh, we looked at the, our resistance to rest, how we resist the gift of rest, and therefore it feels like resistance when we enter in. And, and last week, we looked at the arrival of rest, how we have this great high priest who has secured rest for our souls. And this week, I want to talk about how do we stay in the rest of God. As we think about, uh, as we often do this time of the year, looking toward a new year, how will next year be different when it comes to your rest? 
How will 2023 look different than 2022? So first, let me define what it means to be at rest. Here's what I mean by being at rest. It means having an integrated heart that prioritizes God's word and authentic community, leading to transformation and renewal. Let me say that one time, one more time. Being at rest means this. It means having this integrated heart, this whole heart that prioritizes God's word on the one hand, authentic community on the other hand, and these two, by the power of God's spirit, lead to transformation and renewal in our own lives. The book of Hebrews has been talking about this over and over and over again. So as you think about next year, who do you hope to become next year? I know you've got a lot of things that you hope to do, but who do you hope to become? I know you have physical goals, but do you have spiritual aspirations as well? Who do you hope to become this time next year? What do you want to see God do in and through your life and your soul next year? Maybe, maybe you long to, to hide more of God's word in your heart next year. Maybe you long to be more present and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit next year. Maybe you long to be more bold with your faith among unbelievers next year. Maybe you long to live more out of your spirit-filled gifting as a follower of Jesus next year. But what will keep you from that is my question. And that's what I want to talk about today. In the Bible, the consistent pattern of transformation involves three components for believers. The first one is this, is having the power of the Holy Spirit within. And we've said in this series and in every other series I've ever preached that you can know you have the power of the Holy Spirit if you have professed faith in Jesus. That it is a gift that is given to you at your conversion. You may not activate that gift by drawing on the power of the word that often, but you have the Spirit if you are a follower of Jesus. The second component is this. Is knowing God's will through his word. A lot of times we think, I don't know what God's will is. And most of the time we don't know what God's word is. God shows us what his will is in our lives through his word. The third piece, the third component of this is this, prioritizing authentic community with other believers. If you want to change in 2023, prioritize these three things, and I promise your life will be changed. Amen? But what will we do about that? Well, I want to paint a little picture for you because I think there's always two ditches, right, two extremes. So I want to paint a little bit of a portrait, a vignette for you on how we can kind of get out of balance on this. I don't like that word a lot, but kind of out of, out of order on how we view these three components. So I want to introduce you to three friends, Solo Sam, Community Charlie, and Integrated Ivan, okay? Solo Sam. Solo Sam says this, God is truth. The ditch that Solo Sam stays in is this kind of independent person, right? The, there are a lot of positive characteristics about Solo Sam, and I'm, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you're going to identify with one or more of these characters, okay? Here are the, here are the positive characteristics of Solo Sam. Now, she sen- tends to have a, a high view of God's word. She takes everything back to the scripture. She is searching God and knowing his word. She, she tends to have a personality that's, that's very disciplined in a variety of ways. 
you know, from, from what she eats to what she reads to what she puts into her soul and her mind. She tends to show and tell people about God's word. She's the first to open up her Bible at a lunchtime conversation when people have questions. Solo Sam has a lot of strengths, friends. But Solo Sam also has a lot of blind spots, right? Some of Solo Sam's blind spots are this. She can believe that transformation comes in isolation. Really, it's just about her and Jesus. She can listen to a podcast and get as much out of it as a community group, as a missional community, right? Or a discipleship group. Solo Sam tends to have a low view of discipleship and the impact that other people can have on your journey. How other people, God can use other people to transform your life. Solo Sam tends to have another blind spot where she can hide behind Bible knowledge. She knows a lot of God's word, and that can make it difficult for her to be vulnerable and open about her weaknesses and shortcomings, right? But Solo Sam isn't the only kind of proverbial ditch that you can kind of wander into. We've also got Community Charlie. Everybody say hello to Community Charlie. Community Charlie is a guy that, that says, hey, God is love, right? If Solo Sam is, struggles with being too independent, Community Charlie struggles with being too codependent, dependent on other people. But Community Charlie's got a lot of positive characteristics about his life. Community Charlie loves people, and he tends to be the first to meet the needs of other people. He is in it with you. You've got no doubt about it, right? Community Charlie uh, tends to be a unifier of diverse people groups. He's always bringing people together, right, in unity. Community Charlie tends to be missional with those both inside and outside the church. He's looking for the lost sheep. Community Charlie typically finds it easier to be vulnerable about weakness. He's an open book. He doesn't care if you know him or not, right? But Community Charlie, as great as he is, maybe also has some blind spots as well, right? Maybe some of Community Charlie's blind spots are this. Maybe he has a lower value of the impact of God's word. And maybe can even sometimes neglect the power of God's word and exchange that for a relationship with others. Community Charlie maybe, just maybe, tends to avoid conflict because it poses such a threat to the community that he's so attached to, right? Community Charlie potentially struggles with a fear of rejection when thinking about the hard things in the scriptures, the hard things in God's word that God calls us to. So you're, you're kind of getting a picture of the span between those that have an overemphasis maybe on God's word to the uh, neglect of God's people, right? And so what we want to look at now is what it looks like to live an integrated life. Um, and so welcome integrated Ivan, the interdependent man that he is, both valuing through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word deeply, but also God's people. Integrated Ivan sees how the word of God calls him to love people and how people call him to love the word. It's this continuum that you see him going after. Integrated Ivan, he, he tends to value the word because it leads him to a deeper love of others, right? It, it, it leads him to speak the word of God in truth, in truth and love to others. Integrated Ivan values community with others because he knows that it's impossible to change without the word coming through other people. 
And lastly, Integrated Iowa intends to missionally draw people into this transforming community while also revealing that it's not just because these people are in the same age or stage that they're in community together, but it's actually the spirit that is the driving force behind Christian community. Now, we all have a temptation to cherry-pick the benefits of Christ. But as you can see, both Solo Sam, Community Charlie, and Integrated Ivan, they all kind of work together. They're all going after God's heart. But what does it look like to be more integrated in that pursuit? I think it's humbling to be exposed by the Word of God. It's, it's humbling to confess sin to one another so that we can be healed, as James writes. And we all lean one way or another um, uh, and, 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 and Jesus is the definition of being fully integrated. He's the one we're going after, right? And my goal today is that we might prioritize this as the goal as we strive forward in the faith. So how does this relate to, to staying in rest? Well, here's the thing. As you think about next year and your desires to change and be transformed, it is impossible to change when your heart is not settled and at peace with God. It's impossible. It, it can't happen unless you're an integrated person experiencing the transformation through God's spirit, by God's word, and with God's people. So let's dig into the book of Hebrews together that we've been searching through. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 12 here, and then we're going to also be in Hebrews 4 today. And i got really two points today. The first one is this. What keeps us from this integration? What is it that keeps us from this spirit-fueled value of the word of God in community with other people. It's unbelief in the word and isolation from others. And I think those two are far more connected than we think. So let me remind you of what Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says. Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another, encourage one another every day, as long as it is called the day, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Friends, it's important for us to be aware of the patterns of unbelief and isolation in our own story. We all have them. We all have, um, you know, we all have these, these um, propensities to fall away from the living God in very specific ways. And many times, we're not as aware of the patterns as maybe God would call us to be. So what's your history with falling away from the living God? What's your history with isolating from other people instead of living in community? Where did you learn those things? What types of unhealthy attachments have you fostered around those two themes? And why should we pay attention to those two themes? Because those are the things that are actually leading you away from rest. So how does unbelief surface in our lives? In general, I think as Christians, we allow too much unbelief to live in our lives. We're, we're, we're a little too settled and content to live with unbelief. And how do we do this? One of the main ways we do this is that we believe lies about ourselves, about God, and about other people. We think, you know, I'll just never kick that habit. I'll never be able to get away from that tendency that I have. 
We think God won't cure, God won't heal that person. He won't bring redemption in that story. There's no way he could do that. And we just, we just distance ourselves with the power of the living God. And when we let lies like these and others linger, they take root because we've pronounced a verdict that is not God's. And when they take root, they start growing, which makes them more challenging to uproot, and it takes more courage to invite others into the struggle to let the light shine, therefore moving out of the isolation. So how do we evict these unwanted tenets of unbelief in our own heart that have taken root? It starts by knowing the word of God. Romans 10, 13 says this, faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of our Lord. So if faith is what is required to, um, to, to kind of walk out of unbelief, to, from believing the lies, the scriptures say that faith actually comes, it's gifted as we hear the word of God. Whether we're reading or we're hearing it preached or we're with others in community that are speaking the word of God. But it is impossible to cling to a truth that you do not know. Just this week, someone reached out to New City Church about a particular kind of cultural issue. It's kind of a big moment. I'm not going to mention this specific thing. You can let your mind wander about that if you want. What does your church believe about blank? Because I've been a part of a church that has been great. It's just too far away. So I'm just curious before I enter in if we're going to be a fit here. We gently wrote back and explained what scripture taught on the particular issue. And, and we also encompass, uh, encompassed a whole uh, kind of host of other kind of sinful issues that our world is content to live with. And their response to us was this. You need a new scripture because the God I follow doesn't believe that. You should go and learn from this other church. And it's, it's kind of funny, but it's real to that person. And why? Because they don't know the word of God. They know the theology of man. They don't know the word of God. So you have the word of God. And it is your job to judge whether what we say up here is in the word of God or not. The vicious cycle, friends, of unbelief starts to happen. And we either do not know the word of God or we hear the word of God and we refuse to let it penetrate our actual hearts. And our hearts get hard and we do this strange thing where we start isolating ourselves from other people to protect the lie. You see, when you believe lies, your life's goal is to protect the lie that you believe because you think that it will give you life. And we do all kinds of interesting things to protect those lies. How are you today living to protect the lies that you believe, friends? And you say, Pastor... I'm not believing any lies today. Maybe, but that's probably a lie, right? <laughs> what is it in your life that is not in the open air conversation with your spiritual community? What is it about you that's significant, that's actually shaping how you live, how you work, how you think, how you spend your money, how you spend your time? What is it? That it's sucking up all of those times and resources that's not in the open air of your spiritual community. That's the lie you're protecting, friends. How do I know that? 
Because if it wasn't a lie that you were trying to protect, you would bring it out. And you would say, guys, help me walk with Jesus in this. If there are people in your life that you're actually willing to share those things with. How do we step out of the shadows and into the light? How do we do that, friends? By coming to Jesus. This is the, the invitation of Christmas. It's not, it's not to Jesus back in a manger. It's to Jesus seated at the right hand of the Father. That's who we're coming to. It's not this nostalgic kind of just memory that we just think about. The manger is beautiful because the cross and the resurrection happened, friends. And because of that, we get to come to Jesus right now as we are. Yet, how many times do we just turn to ourselves instead of Jesus? Our communion with God both personally and our community with others, is only as strong as our spirit-fueled connection to Jesus. Who is Jesus? Who is he to a bunch of sin-hardened, unbelieving, independent Sams like ourselves? He's unbelievably approachable and never ceasingly compassionate. Listen to what Matthew 11 says. It's a familiar passage. We come back to it often because we can't get enough of it. Jesus says this to people who are living in lies. He says, come to me, all who, are la who labor and are heavy laden. You're just beat up by the world and the situations you've gotten yourself into. And he says, I will give you rest. You are restless. You cannot find rest in this world because I will give it to you. He says, take my yoke upon you. Because you have to learn from me, because I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is saying, when you're not at rest, it's because there's something out of order in the way that you're living in his kingdom, particularly around this issue of spirit, word, and community. And instead of just continuing to beat yourself up with the lies that you've believed, it's as simple as this. Come to him. Come to him. What is keeping you today from coming to Jesus? Come to him as you're exhausted. Come to him with a struggle, with your struggle with sin that you can't solve. Come to him even in your unbelief, asking for his help. His, his nature is not proud. It's not arrogant. What is it? Scripture says he's gentle and lowly in heart. That's who he is. Any other definition of who Jesus is is not who Jesus is. His spirit is gentle and his heart is lowly. He's approachable. Yet the lie that the devil sets before us is to believe that Jesus will weaponize your weakness against you because that's exactly what the world does. That's what keeps you from coming to him. But something beautiful actually happens that we're not calculating into the equation of coming to Jesus for rest. Dane Ortland says it like this in his book, Gentle and Lowly. He says, the deeper into the weakness and the suffering and the testing that we go, so the more that we really go for it with Jesus, in other words, the deeper Christ's solidarity deepens with us. 
As we go down into the pain, as we go down into the anguish, we are descending ever deeper into Christ's very heart, not away from it. You see, the thing, the lie that we believe is that he'll be repelled by who we really are. Yet the scriptures tell us exact, the exact opposite thing happens. He's drawn to more connection to us as we trust him with more of who we really are. Sinner, Jesus is so drawn to your weakness. He's so drawn that your union with him actually deepens the more that our trust expands. Here's what I'm saying. You don't have to look back on 2022 this year and be disappointed with your progress. That's what many of you are going to do. You're tempted to look back and say, God, I just blew it again. I thought I made headway with that particular thing. I'm just in the same exact place. You don't have to trust the false gospel of another calendar year, right? You're going to be the same person on January 1st, all right? You can have it right now, in this very moment, if you will just come to him. Maybe a next step for you right now is this. So just pray a very simple prayer. I want you to, let's just pray, let's pray right in the middle of the message right here, actually. Just bow your heads. And some of you in here might agree with this prayer and insert your own kind of thing here. The simple prayer is this, Jesus, I come to you because you told me that I could come to you, that you would help me carry this load. Jesus, I come to you with whatever addiction. I come to you with loneliness, Father. I come to you with disappointment, I come to you with sorrow. I come to you with unbelief. I come to you with everything that's kept me away from the living God. Jesus, I'm weary. Jesus, I'm worn out. And I cannot carry this load alone. I need you to teach me how to carry this load as I'm yoked to you so that I can have rest. And I ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen. And that's a prayer that you can pray every single day, friends, because Jesus has invited you to come to him. Let's keep, let's keep going in Hebrews chapter 4 here. What keeps us integrated? If that's what keeps us disintegrated, what keeps us integrated? A spirit-fueled application of word in community with other believers. So how does Jesus come to us? He comes to us through his word and he comes to us through his people. And some of us like the way he comes to us more through one than the other, right? We've talked about that. Let me read Hebrews chapter 4, verses 11 through 13 to you. You'll see the kind of the connection between both in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews 4, 11 says this, Let us therefore strive. The word strive means to apply intense effort. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest that he's promised us. So that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience of not entering that rest, right? For the word of God is living and it's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. His word pierces to the vision of the soul and the spirit of joints and marrow discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, 
but all are naked and exposed in the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So what is Hebrews 4? It's the rebuke about against living in unbelief of God's word and isolation and hiding. That's what it is. Which means, I'm a positive guy here, it's also an invitation, right? Every rebuke is also an invitation. The writer of Hebrews says that as spirit-filled followers of Jesus, we're striving in two directions for that rest. We're moving forward in the word of God with the people of God. The word strive here is a, is a plural word. He means we're doing, we're striving together. We, we've, we've, we imagine ourselves kind of striving uphill to enter that rest. Jesus imagines us being a community of people that are striving toward the same thing together. And these hints about community are dropped all throughout the book of Hebrews. If you're someone who maybe doubts the legitimacy of that, Hebrews 10 says this. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as, become, as it is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Simply put, friends, some of us in this room have neglected to gather with the church. We've used all kinds of excuses. They're, okay. We've used all kinds of excuses. Some of them are travel, right? My work makes me travel. Can't live in community with others. That's a lie. I know that hurts, right? That is a lie. I know people that travel and they still prioritize community with other people. What is keeping you from gathering with the people of God in a deep and meaningful way? Because that is the lie that's keeping you from being transformed into the image of Jesus more deeply. The theme is clear. Word-saturated transformation is a community endeavor. So what, what is the word of God? Well, there are two Greek words that are translated as word. One is rhema, and that is the, the spoken individual words of God. The other is logos, which means the comprehensive or total message of God. And this is important for us to know if the word of God is how we change, right? So what is the word of God? Well, the first thing you've got to know about the word of God is the word is a who before it's a what, Okay? John 1 says this, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word, I'm going to get to that one too, so leave that there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, the word was God, he was with God in the beginning. So who is the Word? Good job, Brandon. Jesus. I know his voice, you can hear him. Jesus, right? Jesus is the Word. This Bible is the Word of God because it is about who? Jesus, very good. Jesus, right? This is what changes you because it's about him. Because the word is a who before it's a what. And we celebrate Advent because this is the occasion that, that the word of God became this transformative force in our lives. And the word became flesh and it dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, Full of both grace and love, right, and truth. He's full of both. He's fully integrated. He's the best of Solo Sam and he's the best of Community Charlie, right? He's fully 
integrated. The who of the word is Jesus. Jesus is the total comprehensive message of who God is. How he lived, what he embodied, and what he's accomplished for us is who God is. And God's word in the Old Testament points to Jesus, right? It shows us our need. It shows us our fallen condition. In the Gospels, we get to see him in action. And in the epistles, we get to look back and see how his life is applied in a community. It's this beautiful, comprehensive package of who Jesus is in God's word. So what's the what of God's word? Well, the what of God's word is the Bible, as we've said. The scripture that Jesus has left us with. These scriptures are special because they point us to Jesus. They tell us who he is. They teach us how to become like him and how to anticipate his return. The Bible, friends, is transformative because of the resurrection. Without the resurrection and without the spirit of God, the Bible would not bring us to life. The only life that you and I will ever experience is always linked to Jesus by faith. Everything else is dead. Now, it might seem like life, but it's not because Jesus is the only one who's faced sin and death and came out with a beating heart. The resurrection invites us to experience transformative life in this land of death because the Holy Spirit That the Father sent, because Jesus is at his right hand, is bringing Jesus' life to us through God's word and God's people. That's how this thing works. When we hear God's word, what's it supposed to do in us? If we have the Holy Spirit and we hear God's word, it's always doing something when we hear it. It's supposed to bring us to deeper and wider life every time we encounter the word. Let me remind you of what Hebrews 4.12 says. Listen to the activity of the word who is Jesus alive in our community. The word of God is living. The word of God is active. And it's active. He's showing us how it's living and active because it's sharper than a two-edged sword, the sharpest thing you could imagine. And he's piercing our hearts and our souls to the, in the deepest, most precise ways. And he's discerning the thoughts and intentions Of our heart. In other words, the Word of God is not intended to remain just in your head. God has given Him, us Himself, and these words about Himself to penetrate our hearts. The difference between knowledge and transformation is 18 inches, right? The distance between the head and the heart. Some of you may be about 20, you got a little bigger head, I don't know, but. That's the difference between knowledge about God and transformation in God. The penetrating power of the word. God's word is actively penetrating human hearts, piercing and dividing us all up in the most meticulous ways. Have you ever experienced the living power of the word of God? Many of us in this room have, and maybe we even have a habit of encountering the living word of God, it changing and reordering and restructuring our hearts as we come to him in community with others. But maybe some of us have never experienced that before. It's supposed to do something in you every time you encounter God's word. I can remember the first time the word of God changed me. (laughs) Funny thing is, it was actually 
a couple years after I professed faith, <laughs> all right? And that's okay. The word was in my head. It just hadn't trickled down to my heart yet. And it, it came to me in a unique way. I was actually reading about the friendship of King David and Jonathan in 1 Samuel 18. And if you're unfamiliar with the story, Jonathan was King Saul's son. King Saul was the first king of Israel. Israel wanted a king. They said, okay, Saul's the guy, right? Saul started kind of becoming a bad king after he got really insecure when, when it was clear that David was the next guy up and he wasn't one of Saul's sons, right? It all started with, the battle with David and Goliath, right? That whole situation. And it, it became clear that, that the hand of God was on David and not Saul. The only catch in this whole thing was this is that Saul's son, Jonathan, and David were best friends. And, and when I began to read about the complexities of their friendship and the depth of their union with one another as brothers, it blew my mind. Listen to this. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And, and Saul took him that day and, and wouldn't let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a, a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. You know, that night as I was delighting in God's word, I can remember there was a high school basketball game I was supposed to be going to. And I was, I was so deeply impacted by this word, I just said, hey, buddies, I can't come to this, you know, because I'm meeting with the Lord right now. And what happened was that the Lord validated my, my deep longing for friendship that I'd carried for so long. And it struck something so real inside of me. In other words, it was living and it was active in the, in the real version of who I am, not the one I want everybody to believe. For the first time, I had become a Christian. Up until now, I've had this deep longing, right, to be known by others and loved by others, not for what I do, but for who I am, right? There's a difference there, to not just produce and to perform for companionship, but rather to be at rest with a community of people because of the common image that we bear and a sacrificial love for one another. Now, for some of us, you have that same pursuit. I, I would argue everyone has the desire for that same thing to be real in your life. And, and we've experienced the exact opposite in the church. In a lot of ways, the church has reflected more of the world than the gospel in this area. Because it's risky to bear your soul with other people. Now, the kind of community that the Spirit of God desires to give to you and to me with other believers is one that we can be cut to the heart together, as Acts 2 says, and sometimes cut to the heart by one another, right? One where we can grieve the devastating impact of sin in our lives together and not run from one another in that pursuit, but to also celebrate the miraculous provision of God together. In other words, to really live before God and before others with one another. What was so meaningful to me that night as I encountered the living and active word of God was that night I realized that my deepest desires were God's desires too. 
the word became flesh so that my flesh could become like the word. So my heart wasn't just this selfish, idle factory that felt lonely, and it was so comforting to know that that desire came from God, not from me. That desire to be known, to be loved, and to share a heart-level relationship with others is a God-given pursuit. God put that in me, and God put that in you to reveal his heart to the world. And this church, friends, our vision is to live as the family of God together. That vision for this church came out of that moment with the living and active word of God. This is the power of an encounter with God through his word. But the courage of David and the sacrifice of Jonathan, they were ultimately just shadows of Jesus, weren't they? Right before Jesus would go to the cross, here's what he said to his disciples, and I'll close with this. John 15, it's in the upper room. This is my commandment, this is my word, Jesus says, that you love one another as I've loved you. Because greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. You are my friends, Jesus says. He says it to me, he says it to you, he says it to those disciples. If you do what I command, if you hear my word, he says, no longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Guys, the courage to be at rest in God and at rest with one another is possible because Jesus has loved us and he's come to us and he's set us in his rest. And this Advent season, I want you to know that you are loved by God. The manger declares the reality of it. The cross secures it and the spirit perpetuates it in our lives. So may 2023 be a year that we are pursuing because the Spirit is alive in us, God's Word and God's people with all the tenacity that the Lord would have in us. Let's pray for that in Jesus' name. Father, Lord, we come to you because you have called us friends through sending us Jesus. And Father, my prayer for this church and for my own heart and soul is that we would have a regular drip, a regular occurrence of living and active encounters with the living God through his word and his people. And so, Father, help us to strive to enter that rest together, to strive to be known by you in community with other people. Father, I pray that you would dispel the darkness in our own hearts that keeps us away from the conviction the convictional words of the scriptures and keeps us isolated from other people who you've called us to live like family with. Lord, I pray that the, that the incarnation of Jesus would be real to us today and it would change how we live moving forward, Lord. We pray for that in Jesus' name, amen. We, we get to come to this table each and every week because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. See, that changes how we approach God every single week. 
Nothing is hidden from his sight because the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so this table is for those of us in the room, kids and and, uh, adults alike, if you've professed faith in Jesus, you're a member in good standing of a church, this table is for you. This table is for you to take inventory of your own heart and soul, to confess your sins and to be covered by the blood. And what happens is this, this table strengthens you because you rem, you're reminded that Jesus is with us and he's with us to the end. And so if you're in here and you're a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to come and, and receive these elements and to go back to your seat and we'll, we'll, we'll take this meal together as the family of God together. So let's come and grab these elements together, church. On the night that our Lord was betrayed, he took bread, and after he'd given thanks, he broke it. And he said to his disciples, this is my body given for you. 
Take and eat in remembrance of me. Take and eat, church. Likewise, after the meal, Jesus lifted the cup and he said to his disciples, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Drink this in remembrance of me for as often as you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he returns. Take and drink. Let's pray. Father, we proclaim the body and the blood this morning. We proclaim the perfect life of Jesus in our place, the friend of sinners, Lord. And we proclaim the brutal death of Jesus that gives us hope. And so, Lord, as we come and we remember the arrival of Jesus, Father, let us cling to the arrival of the Spirit in our own hearts as we follow Jesus. We ask for that in Jesus' name. Amen.
Yeah, it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> what an amazing day. What an amazing church. God's done a work here, hasn't he? It's beautiful. Hey, Friday night, we're going to celebrate together again for our Christmas Eve Eve service. A tradition that started because we couldn't get the custodian to show up on Christmas Eve <laughs> that has carried for years. It's a great opportunity to bring someone that maybe is far from the Lord. Maybe somebody that's disconnected from the people of God. Bring them. We're going to have two services that night. I invite you to be with us. Receive this benediction, one that will never get old. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than all that we can ask or even think, according to the power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Y'all be blessed. See you Friday night.